I do hope that you had a good Thanksgiving. We are finishing up this month where we call it Name Tag November. It's tying in with our Advent conspiracy, and so I'm glad you played along. I hope that you got to uh, know a few names of some people that you sit next to regularly, and you're like, man, I always forget their names, and it's so nice to have this. So go ahead, and you can, you can wear a name tag any day you want. We're good with that. Um, but hopefully you've been encouraged getting to know also some of the names of God. In the last few weeks, we've been trying to get to know God in greater ways, understanding his character, understanding some of the names used for him, Because Jesus said this in John chapter 17. It was part of his prayer to the Father. And he says this, Father, this is eternal life. This is what life is all about. This is not just getting to heaven, but this is to have the life of God that they would know you. The one true God, the only God, that they would know you. And he said this, and that they would know your son, Jesus Christ, whom you sent. And so we have been spending some time the last few weeks trying to get to know God in greater ways. Certainly it's more than knowing some names about him, but hopefully it's knowing names about him so that when life comes at you fast, you will know where to run. Life is about knowing God, your maker. It's about knowing the grace that God pours out every day onto your life. Well, today, if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, page 807, if you want to use this Bible in front of you, Matthew chapter 1. We are going to look at another name of God today, the story behind that. My hopes is, as you understand this name, it will transform even this Christmas season for you. It will transform your life in the way that you pray to God as the way you relate to him. But we've been in this thing called Advent Conspiracy for a reminder, or if you're new here, we're looking at these two words, Advent and Conspiracy. Advent is really a time of waiting. It's a time of preparation. Specifically, it is the four Sundays before Christmas. And so that's actually going to start next Sunday. That's why we're going to decorate our room here tonight in our building because there are these four Sundays coming up where we want to prepare our hearts to again receive Jesus who was born for us. This word conspiracy means that we're going to get together and do something. And so again, we have been doing something. We've been talking about this conspiracy to retell the Christmas story. All the stores tell the Christmas story a certain way. They say it's all about you, that you need this, it'll make you happy. We say, wait a second, this story is really about a compassionate God who gave. And so we want to uh, consider retelling that story, not only to our own hearts, but to people around us. And so we have said this, that we are considering the compassion of God toward us. This is the Christmas story, that God was compassionate when he saw you and your need. He said, I'm going to come down there and bring healing and restoration to you. But not only that, that this conspiracy would say that we would allow God then to show this compassion to others through us. No, we don't want to just hoard this blessing of, oh, God's been compassionate to us, but that we want to share that with others. And so last Sunday, as part of this, 
we took our special offering. Some of you have been asking, how did that go? Let me tell you how that went. Last week, we took this special offering, and it's to go into our community, into Mexico, where we have a sister church there, in Sierra Leone, where we have a church and a school. And last week's special offering that you gave totaled $21,104. That's very significant, very significant. That's beyond all of our regular giving. It's a great start. I know that some of you even called the office and said, I'd still like to give. Is it too late? It's never too late. Our goal is $25,000. We believe that's going to do everything we need for our community in Mexico and Sierra Leone. But what you did last week was a great start to the point that we contacted an orphanage in Sierra Leone where we have spent time with and said to them, your 60 orphans that live in your orphanage there, go ahead and drill them their own water well. All right? We have had a very compassionate God. We're extending that blessing. Let those 60 kids know that clean water is coming. And uh, so I want to say thank you that I was able to make that uh, email, and they said thank you. I then sent another note to our pastor, Patrick Coker, in a little village of Moyamba and said, Patrick, I know you have a heart for the 80 orphans in your village there, uh, and you want to get them Christmas gifts of toothbrush, toothpaste, uh, sandals, and a new pair of church clothes. Go ahead and do that. The money is coming from us as well. And so God has provided. And so this morning, they're telling that story. God has provided in crazy ways. People that we've never met have experienced the compassion of God, and they're showing that. And so I just want to say thank you. There's still more work to do, and so... Uh, let's continue to give to that. But what we are doing is conspiring to retell this Christmas story and say it's about a very generous God who gave, and we simply want to be generous people who give as well. All right, well, enough on that. Let me uh, do a quick review where we've been the last three weeks. Let me uh, catch you up. Genesis chapter 16, we looked there a few weeks back, and in Genesis chapter 16, we saw the God who sees this is one of the names of God that we looked at. The God who sees, we, in Hebrew it would be El-Roi, El-God-Seen, God-Seen. There was an individual named Hagar. She was an Egyptian servant girl. She felt lonely as a, a pregnant lady. She felt alone, fearful, and yet when she was in her despair, when she's desperate... She experiences a God who sees her, sees her specific need, and she says, this is the God who sees. It's not just an ability he has, like, okay, I see all of you, but it's an ability and it's a heart that says, I see your need and I care. And Hagar experienced this and said, this is the God who sees even me. Think about this for a minute. God reveals himself to us many times when we're at our most desperate times. Would you agree with that? Think about that for a minute. That God reveals himself at our most desperate times. Hagar is very desperate. She feels alone. And yet that's when God enters and she says, God is the God who sees. Two weeks ago in Exodus chapter 15, we looked at the Lord your healer. The Lord your healer. Yahweh Rapha. Moses is leading the Israelites. They've just miraculously been rescued out of Egypt. They're on their own, but now they have no water to drink. 
God, in that desperate time for Moses, who is very insecure, that he's got a million people wanting him dead, he's very fearful that these people are yelling at him. God meets him in that desperate moment and says, I am the Lord, the I am, the self-existing one, and I bring healing to you. Again, catch this, that in our most desperate times, God reveals himself to us in a special way and says, I see what you need. I can fix that. I will meet you there. I will work on your heart. I will work on your mind. I will work so that you trust me in greater ways. Then last week in Genesis chapter 22, we saw the Lord who provides, Yahweh Yireh, the Lord who provides. Again, Lord being Yahweh, the I am, the self-existing one, who provides. Abraham has been told by God, go take your son and sacrifice him. Crazy story. You can read about this on your own later if you didn't catch this last week. Abraham believes somehow that God's going to provide. He even says this, God's going to provide. I don't know how, but he will. And God does provide. And Abraham says, on this mountain, God, the Lord, is the provider. Again, I noticed this, that when Abraham is a a doubtful man for a moment, when he is fearful of what he might have to do, he grows in his knowledge and his understanding of God. Because in our deepest moments when we think, oh, this does not look good for me, in those moments God says, I want to reveal something about me to you. I want you to know me in greater ways. As I was thinking about this, I thought, It's in those tough times that God is truly working. You and I, tough times, we want to avoid them, right? We want to do everything we can to avoid a difficult time. We want to pad our bank account so much that I never have to trust God because I've got enough saved up for a rainy day. We don't want these tough times. And when they show up, we try to either escape them, we try to numb them, but we do not want to experience the tough times. And yet, in these tough times is when God says, but I want to reveal something about myself to you. I wonder how, if we are in these situations like Hagar and Abraham and Moses, if we said, okay, God, this stinks right now for me. But I believe that you want to reveal something of who you are. Because even as Jesus said this, this is eternal life. This is what life is all about, to know the one true God. The problem is we don't get to know the one true God when everything's great and we never think of him. But he allows difficulties in our lives so that we would say, okay, I need some help. And he goes, oh, good. I'm the God who sees. I'm the God who provides. I am the God who heals. You see, your loneliness that you're experiencing, even this morning, that could be used by God to teach you more about his caring love. You're like, oh man, I hate loneliness. Scott Miller hates loneliness. But it's in those lonely times where God says, I want you to experience my caring love. You see, the insecurity you have right now, whatever that might be, could be what God is using to teach you more about his strengthening power. I hate feeling insecure, don't you? Go ahead and say, I hate feeling insecure. (laughs) 
But guys, we're really good at saying this. I hate, we're supposed to feel better about ourselves. No, I hate being insecure. But what if God is saying, oh, in those insecure moments, this is where I want to teach you about my strengthening power. The pain that you're going through right now, it might be physical, emotional, whatever that pain is. Could God be using that right now to teach you about his amazing healing? He says, don't numb this pain. Don't escape from this pain. Embrace this pain because I want to teach you about my healing power. What about the fear that you're experiencing right now? Uh, Fear is no fun. But what if in that fear God says, oh, in that moment you run to me and I'm going to strengthen you and I will give you my presence. Jesus says this is eternal life, that they would know you, God. And it seems to me that we get to know him through these difficult situations. The Old Testament names we've just looked at here, they came from great encounters with God. But as I was looking at these names, these names are really the beginning of the Christmas story. These names are really the beginning of the Christmas story. Christmas story is not just Mary and Joseph making a trek to Bethlehem. Christmas story was long before that. You might be decorating. I've already told you my disdain for decorating the house. I love that Angela does that, but the house is going from brown and orange to red and green, and I'm glad she does it. I just don't want any part of it. And for a month, we are getting, in a month, we're getting ready to celebrate the birth of Jesus, but the Christmas story started long before now. Christmas story began when God saw our need. He said, oh, these people, I love them, but they're in trouble. They're infected with this disease of sin. I see the problem, but not only do I see the problem, I'm going to bring healing to the problem. I'm going to bring healing to the problem, and I'm going to provide. I have prevision. I can see what they need long in advance, and I'm going to provide for them. That's the Christmas story we've been looking at the last three weeks. Well, God is ramping up for the birth of his son. He had always been ramping up for the birth of his son. And as we get into this passage in Matthew chapter 1, sometimes we call this the beginning of the Christmas story, but it was long before that. Okay, Matthew chapter 1, page 807. Follow along as I read some of this. Start in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. I would encourage you, I'm going to stop here for a second. I would encourage you this year just to read these passages again and read them slowly instead of like, let's just read them so we can open presents. But just read them and just allow yourself to be blown away at the miraculous nature of this story that this is God seeing our need, God healing our need, God providing for us. It's an amazingly crazy story, but amazingly good story. Verse 19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Too much scandal going on. Verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph... Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. That had to freak him out a little bit. Verse 21, she will bear a son, 
And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Let's stop there. So the angel confirmed that this is God's child. I mean, that sounds crazy, but it was, okay, well, that's a relief. But the angel told Joseph what the child's name would be. We'll look at that name this morning, the name of Jesus. But as I was thinking about names, I thought, it's interesting what people name their kids nowadays. It seems like nothing is off limits. You can name your kid anything and people will be, sure, go for it. More power to you. I mean, you can name your kid Espen, E-S-P-N, and the guys are like, cool, dude. You know, your wife lose the bet. What happened there? No one really cares what we would name our kids. We have Jessie here in the front row. She is a foreign exchange student from South Korea. We picked her up from the airport a few months ago and, and said, uh, what's your name? And her name is Jongbi Park. And we said, do you have an English name? Do you need us to help pick one for you? And she says, I already have one. Told I needed one. And so my brother gave me this name, and I looked it up. I like it, Jesse. I'm like, all right, Jesse. I remember driving home from the airport, and I'm like, Jesse, really? I mean, that's a pretty name, but there were actually better names. If you've got the last name Park, Oh, the options are great for you, young lady. I mean, you could name yourself Central. All right. She says she's a baseball fan. She could have named herself Fenway. All right. Or if she would have named herself this, she would have been the coolest kid in high school by far if she would have said, my name's Jurassic. <laughs> I mean, you could have just been going through, ah, you know. And no one would have said anything. They were just like, that's your name. Go for it, girl. I started thinking about this. Like, if, my, if I was Kevin Bacon, and I'm starting to name my kids, I'm like, oh, you got a lot of options there with bacon. You could go with Chris, Crispy Bacon, you know, or something like that. I mean, some people just have some great last names that you could play with. Or Bruce Lee. I mean, Bruce Lee just... Don't think about it too much right here. But, man, the guy had options when naming his kids. Or if your last name is Lee, a lot of options there. I mean, your son, you could have named him Brock. <laughs> I mean, a lot, lot of good options there. But seemingly, uh, there's always interesting names if you're from Arkansas, all right? I, I don't mean to pick on the people from Arkansas, but I, my, I descend from Arkansas folk, all right? My grandpa's name was Sewell, all right? I've never met another Sewell. Sewell found a cute little girl, and he married her. My grandma, her name was Kalma. So I had Sewell and Kalma as my grandparents. Then they have a kid, and they're like... We're going with Kois. I mean, that's a weird one. Never heard of another Kois. Love you. You are all your own, Mom. But straight from Arkansas. I'm glad I just got a normal name. Hide all that Arkansas blood that might be in me. But getting to pick a name is fun. Uh, Joseph didn't get to do it. I thought of one more story. Getting to pick a name being fun. A few years ago, we got a dog on a Friday night. We brought the dog home to all the kids, and we just loved the dog, fell in love with the dog. All day Saturday, all five of us in the family are calling the dog something else. I mean, we all had a different name for the dog, and none of us could decide what is the dog going to be called. So we all just gave it its own name. That dog was so confused, like, 
Sadly, the dog got sick Saturday night, the very next night. So I have to rush him to the doggy ER. And the first question they ask me there is what? What's the dog's name? And I'm trying to keep a straight face, but I'm going, yes! I win! (laughs) That dog's name is Jackie. (laughs) Exactly what I wanted it to be. Anyway, something fun when you get to name In the story here in Matthew chapter 1, though, Joseph doesn't get that joy. Jesus supernaturally conceived through God's Spirit, and then Mary's fiancé, Joseph, as he hears about the news, he finds out that the name's already been planned out. And you're probably not going to argue with an angel from God. But God's Son, in this case, needed a special name to describe who He was And what his life would be about. Look at verse 21 again with me if you would. The angel says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now maybe your Bible has a little clue, and there's a small letter down there, and you go to the bottom of the page, and it tells you what this means. But sometimes we look at that, and you'll name him Jesus because he'll save his people. I mean, I know the story that he goes to the cross, but what does Jesus have to do with save his people? Let's write this down if you're taking notes. That Jesus, that's how we would say it in English, is the name Yeshua. This would be the Hebrew name, Yeshua. The idea behind it is the Lord saves. Yahweh saves. The I Am saves. The self-existing God saves. Yeshua. Yeh, or Yahweh, He shuas. He saves. You will name your child that the Lord Yahweh, the self-existing one, he saves. Oh, that made sense for somebody there. We look at it and go, how, how does Jesus go with it? That's how Jesus works here. We could translate this even to the name Joshua. Joshua, but it is the Lord saves. Now, as I was looking at this, I had a question for myself and for you. How did Jesus save, or how does Jesus save? How does he save us from our sins? Quick answer, well, he died on a cross. Okay, yeah. That's one of the ways that he saved us from our sins. But if you look at this passage, it says he will save his people from their sins. There's more to that than what we celebrate on Good Friday. So I started writing down what the word save or saving means. I couldn't help but start thinking about sports. Somebody recently told me we'd take an over-under bet each Sunday on how many times you'll use a sports analogy, but I'm going to use another one here. Because when I thought of save, I thought of baseball. In a baseball game, the pitcher who comes in at the end when your team is ahead and the one who secures the victory, the one who rescues the team, who secures the goodness of the game, who closes it out, he gets a save. It's a statistic. He gets a save. If I knew anything about hockey, I think they count the same thing in hockey. It's the idea that you close out the victory. You stop the opposition. The person who records this is bringing about a rescue. Would you write this word down, rescue? Rescue. One of the ways that Jesus came to save was to rescue us. In the game of life, due to our sin nature that each of us were born with, 
due to our sins of commission, the sins that we committed, like, oop, I crossed that line, oops, or the sins of omission, like, I knew I should have done this, but I didn't. Either way, of these sins, you and I needed rescue. We were lost people. We were dying people. We were losing in this game of life. We were dead in our transgressions and sins. But Jesus paid the ransom to purchase us from the grips of Satan. In other words, he came to the rescue. And Jesus went to the cross, of course, to pay. And by rising from the dead, he defeated the enemy. And he rescued us from our sins. Write a couple Bible verses down, if you would, and look up here with me. Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says this, that God, he has delivered us or rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He says, I want you to know, people, that you have been rescued. You have been delivered. This is part of what God does to save you. Look at this passage in Romans chapter 10. It says, then if you confess or acknowledge with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and Master, and if you would believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, you will be rescued, you will be delivered. I know that many of you in this room have said, there was a time in my life where I confessed this, I acknowledged this. Yes, Jesus is my master. I believed in my heart that God raised him from the dead. At that moment of belief, you were rescued. You were saved. You were delivered. Now, as I was thinking about this, <clears throat> where am I here? I got so excited now. Okay, there we go. In a baseball game, when someone gets the save, the crowd goes crazy. I've been at some of those games. It's like, oh, man, we're just hanging on. If this guy could just get the last out. And when he gets the last out, we just, woo, woo, yeah, save the game. We won the day. I want you to know that in a very spiritual sense, this is what Jesus does, that he saved the day for you and me. We kind of, uh, yeah, I'm saved. He saved me from my sins. But as you consider what Jesus did for you and me and us based on our rescue, could we give him a shout even this morning, huh? Jesus has rescued you. He has saved you. Let me hear it. I like that, Roger. You and I should be walking around, I have been rescued. I have been saved. In essence, that game is over. My sins are not counted against me. I'm not treated as my sins deserve because Jesus saved me. He rescued me one more time. Woo! We don't have to wait till another day called Resurrection Sunday to get all excited. <laughs> I know. Every day living in this that we have been rescued and this is the Christmas story, that Jesus is God, Yahweh, saving, Yahweh, rescuing. He's our Savior, our rescuer, to save the people from their sins. Now, then I started thinking of another way that we think of the word save or savings, and I thought about our bank account. Okay, so some of us would have a savings account. It's money that is set aside for another day. 
It's either a fallback plan that we would have or for a special purchase, I'm saving up for this. Money that we're trying to keep secure that we would use as a safety fund. Savings then is also seen in security. Would you write this down? When Jesus came to save you from your sins, he was also securing something for you. He was also securing something for you. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Write down this reference, if you would. Praise, Peter says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ! Exclamation point. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, it won't die, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. That is a security that Jesus uh, secured for us. This is part of his saving. He's going to save his people from their sins. He is going to secure something for that day. An inheritance? It's as if Jesus is saying, I saved you. I went to the cross to save you. And when you believed in me, I included you. And I've secured an inheritance for you. And I'm thinking, oh, I can't wait to experience some of that inheritance. Woo! We're going to have some good times throughout all eternity. Because Jesus saved. Jesus is saving. He's securing. He's protecting us. Protecting us until that day. The great security, the great savior, it's not money. We live in a world where we think that. Even when we bless Sierra Leone, we're like, hey, 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 look at this. The savior's coming. Woo! A lot of money. That's not the big savior. Okay, that gets to bless them in one sense. But they understand, maybe even more than we do, who the savior is. And it's not the dollar bill. The great security, the great savior, it's not money, it's not possessions, it's not health, but it is Jesus himself. Look at this passage in 1 Timothy chapter 6. You should all memorize this one. This is great. Paul says to Timothy, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be arrogant, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Some of you stopped reading after the first few words because it says, as for the rich in this present age, and you said, oh, I'm not rich. Let me just say this. If you're planning to eat today, you are rich. If you do not have to wear the same clothes that you wore yesterday, you are rich. If you did not have to walk to church today because you have this thing called a car or access to a bus, you are rich. Well, now let's reread it. As for the rich in this present age, oh, okay, I guess that does include us. Charge them not to be arrogant, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but to set their hopes on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. He says, yeah, enjoy it. Enjoy it. But set your hope on God. Money and riches, they are a terrible security blanket. We try to wrap ourselves in the terrible security blanket. Jesus, Yeshua, Yahweh saves. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the security. And as you grow in your understanding and knowledge of who He is, you are going to learn to trust Him in all things. So the Christmas story that we're about ready to celebrate, it's 
Yes, that he will save us from our sins. He is providing for us a security. Now let me look at one other word then when I think of savings. And it's this, the saving is also seen in empowerment, the word empowerment. Think about this, if you would, for a minute. Rescue talks about our past. I have been rescued from the dominion of darkness. By faith in Christ, I have been rescued, period. Security is talking about our future, that God will hold us together, that he will bring us into glory. He is providing an inheritance for us. That's the future. But what about the right now? How do I need saving right now? Yes, I had salvation, and yes, there's going to be a security, but what about today? Today, saving is seen as in the word empowerment. Jesus, our Savior, he empowers us so we don't have to live in defeat. You see, you don't get saved and then you think, oh, I just got to trudge through this life until I get to heaven. Or I just get to live for myself until I'm in heaven. But in the right now, you don't have to live in defeat because Jesus, part of his salvation is to empower you and me. He removes my sin and he empowers me to fight against it. Jesus, our Savior, empowers us so we don't live fearfully. Not only do we not live in defeat, but we don't have to live fearfully. I struggle with fear, probably just like all of us do. But Jesus even saves us so that we don't have to live fearful lives. He says, I'm going to empower you. I've, been, I've given you my spirit. It's not a timid spirit. It's not a weak spirit, but it's a spirit of power, of love, of self-discipline, so that you do not have to be afraid. He gives us a new identity. He says, walk in it. You're a child of the Most High God. You are, you're a child of the God who sees, heals, provides, and saves. That's, that's power to live in that identity. Jesus empowers us so that we don't live a purposeless life. So many times we live this purposeless life. We get saved and it's like, man, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Wait a second. I'm now an ambassador of Christ. I am the light of the world as I go. He gives us purpose. Satan, what he's trying to do, he's like, man, I can't destroy them. They're a child of God. Um, How about if I distract them or discourage them? I think I can win them over if I just distract them enough and discourage them enough. But Jesus empowers us so that we would not live distracted, discouraged life. Jesus, our Savior, he empowers us to live victoriously. Can we just get another, woo He empowers you even today, this week, to live a victorious life. Look at this passage, if you would, in 2 Peter chapter 1. Write this down. You should know this one for memory as well. His divine power, Peter says, God's divine power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. His divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. The point is you can't walk around and go, yeah, I'm saved and one day I'll be in heaven, but man, I just struggle and I'm I'm a miserable person. I've been abused. I've been hurt. I'm not trying to minimize any of that, but I'm saying that this, you have all the power in you through God's spirit to live a godly life. I have that power. You have that power. Peter's writing this. He says, don't 
Don't walk around defeated. We have all of this power. We have been empowered by God Most High. That's part of His saving. He's saving us from our sins. People have sinned against us. We feel powerless. We've sinned against ourselves and others. We feel powerless. And Peter's writing and says, no, 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 no. God's power has given you everything you need for life, for godliness. So you live in that. And as you come to know Jesus in greater ways, you're like, wait a second. I don't have to let that moment define me. I don't even have to let my sins define me. Jesus came to save me, to empower me from my sins. Whew. Let me finish by asking you a couple questions this morning. Big question is, how do you need saving from God today? How do you need saving from God today? How do you? How do you need saving from God? Jesus, Yeshua, Yahweh saves. He came to bring to save you from your sins. How do you need this saving from God even today? Let me ask you, do you need salvation for your sins? Maybe just to start. Some of you are like, man, I'm trying to be really good. That won't cut it. You're going to have to confess with your mouth. Acknowledge that Jesus is your master. You're going to have to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And you'll be saved. Maybe you need, some of you need that saving even today. You simply say, God, save me. I, I believe that Jesus is the answer. He is not just Jesus, but he is Yeshua. Yahweh saves. I need that. Some of you need direction. Maybe your own sin or the sins of others have just spun you around and you're like, I just don't know what end is up. You need direction? Well, guess what? Jesus empowers you to look to him. It's part of his saving. Do you need a safe place to hide? You're like, man, I'm just trying to figure it all out. And so I'm trying to hide in my possessions or I'm trying to hide in... I'm just an insecure person. I want to hide. Do you need a place to hide? Then Jesus empowers you to come to him. And he says, you come here. I got you. Do you need power to say no to ungodliness? Like, man, I just feel like I'm struggling on this issue. Do you need power to say no to ungodliness? Jesus empowers you to resist evil. Do you need strength to go on? Like, man, people have hurt me. Uh, I'm getting beat up, abused, whatever it is. Do you need strength to help going on, to keep going on? You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, who gives you power. It's part of his saving work. Jesus, the Savior, empowers you and me to live victoriously. And what God is doing even this morning, he's revealing more of his son to you and me today. And I'm hoping that you're getting a glimpse of Jesus. Even the name Yahweh saves, the great I am, the self-existing God. He came to save in the form of a baby, to go to a cross, to save me, to rescue me, and to bring a security to me for the future, but to empower me even today. Our hope, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And we dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly, completely lean and trust in Jesus' name. He's the Savior. 
This is the Christmas story. Verse 21 again. That he will save his people from their sins. That he will save us from our sins and rescue us and provide a security for us. But that he will save you from your sins even today. Where do you need God to save you today? As we approach the time when we celebrate the birth of Jesus, here's what I would want for each of us, that we would consider the many ways that God has brought salvation to you. That you would consider over the next month the many ways that God has brought salvation to you. It wasn't just when you were 12 years old. Oh yes, he he brought a salvation when you believed. But he continues to bring salvation and rescue and security and empowerment as all part of his saving. I hope that over the next month we would sit there and go, man, I love this Christmas story. Uh, Not just the decorations, those are great, and the presents and the songs and hanging out with family, those are great. But what I really love about the Christmas story is that Jesus saved me and that he does save me and he will continue to save me. Woo! That's good news. So my brothers and sisters, may you trust him in greater ways. May this really be where it leaves us. May you trust him in greater ways. May you get to the point where you say, I have seen over and over and over how he has saved me. And now I can trust him with the next issue that comes up. I can trust him with the next problem that comes up. I can trust him when I sin, when people sin against me. I can trust him because he is the one who came to save me from my sins. I'm looking forward to this next month getting ready for Christmas with you because it is truly about Jesus, the one who came to save us from our sins. Would you bow your heads and pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time this morning to consider your goodness. We just get distracted in life, we get discouraged by life, but we get to be here together and remember why we celebrate this next month, why we celebrate every single day that we have life, that you and your son came to save. And I ask that you help my brothers and sisters to consider how they have been rescued. God, I I pray for those even this morning that need that initial rescue. Would you give them the faith to say, Jesus, I need you. But would you continue to show us the great security we have in trusting you? And would you help us this week? We are going to get bombarded with the world. We are going to be tempted in many ways. We are going to have people hurt us in many ways. And yet, Jesus, you came to save us from the sins, sins of others, from our own sins. Would you help us to trust you in greater ways? Would you help us to see that to know you is life? And so grow our knowledge and understanding of you. Some of that will come as we read, and some of that will be as we reflect. But we understand that some of this will come as you bring us through very difficult times. And we have an encounter with the God who sees, and the God who heals, and the God who provides, 
and a God who ultimately saves. So shape us today and this week. Shape us this next month as we get ready to celebrate the birth of Jesus, Yeshua, Yahweh, saving even me. So I thank you. Thank you for your goodness. You are the God who saves. Fill us with joy. Fill us with praise as we go from here today, for we have met with you. You have revealed more of yourself to us, and we thank you. We praise you for that. We love you. We commit all this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand as we sing one last song together today?